make a play. Like, I get the sense that everybody's just kind of looking around, just assuming everything's going to be okay. Somebody else is going to make a play. We need somebody to make a play. And I told them that, like, the guy on our sideline that to me had the most energy in the first half was DQ Smith, and he was suspended. So I said, he's got the most energy out there, and some of you guys are are not that aren't playing in the game or are playing in the game. We just don't look like – us and I said I know how DQ is going to play in the second half because he's so excited to get back out there and he did and we need to make sure we all are as well and those guys did it all right welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast the official podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals I'm Caleb joined by Pauline because uh, Alan is in Paris uh, right now so you'll uh, if you're on GamecockScoop.com you will hear from him uh, all afternoon uh, as South Carolina, Carolina ladies take on Notre Dame at 1 p.m. Eastern, um, and he'll have some live coverage from there. He's also had several exclusive quotes and articles on GamecockScoop.com uh, over the weekend uh, that you only get if you're there in person, which uh, he is. So go check those out. Um, he had a really cool story this morning um, from several alumni as well, talking about uh, the team and the program and its trajectory. So uh, lots of good stuff if you're into the the women's side of things. Um, <clears throat> so right there at the top, uh, you were hearing from Coach uh, Beamer following the Jacksonville State game. Obviously, South Carolina won 38-28, to 28, um, but I assume most of you know at this point that the score was much closer than the 10 points <laughs> at the end. Um, Jacksonville State was driving with the ball uh, with, what, two or three minutes left. Um, and a chance to take the lead uh, or at least tie it up and send it to overtime or whatever. Stone Blanton intercepts the ball for 88-yard uh, pick six um, that ultimately sealed the game away. But really, it was, it was in doubt all before that. Before we get too far into that, I did want to give you a couple of recruiting notes. Um, the big news from the weekend was that South Carolina had three five-stars on campus. Um, so first, they had... Dylan Stewart, who is obviously their 2024 edge commitment. Um, we we can talk more about that a little bit later on whether or not that was like a good game for him to witness because uh, the uh, the crowd kind of f- filtered out. Uh, South Carolina obviously didn't play their best throughout the game, all those sorts of things. But, you know, maybe hopefully he's viewing that as an opportunity for him to uh, immediately contribute. Um, and then you had uh, 2025 Offensive lineman David Sanders, who is the number one overall at the position. I believe he's the number two overall player uh, in the Rivals 2025 class right now. Also a five-star. As far as I've heard, uh, that was a good weekend for him. He's been here a couple of times before, but this was the first visit since April, I believe, when he came for spring practice. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see how that all plays out. He definitely he stayed more than just for the game. Uh, also, he's not very far away. He's uh, out of Charlotte, so uh, easy trip down. Um, and then the other note is 2025 basketball forward, who is a five-star, uh, Jameer Jones, was also on campus this weekend visiting with Coach Paris, and he, he went to the football game as well. So um, we'll see how it all plays out, but some big time names uh, in the building over the weekend. And then I guess the question is, did the game result help <laughs> at all? Um, so, Pauline, you were there in the press box. Uh, Pauline and Peyton uh, filled in for Alan uh, during the live thread and, and getting 
um, all the game stuff done after on Saturday. Um, yeah. What were your initial impressions, I guess, from the game, from the crowd? I believe you you sent me a, a picture of the student section being fully cleared out by like halftime or so. Um, what, what were some of your takeaways? So first off, uh, I made the joke that our student section was thinner than our D-line um, tonight or this past game. And, you know, I think most Gamecock fans expected us to be much more in control of the game than we were. And I'm really after the first play of the second half, um, that was, I think, when most students were like, well, is what it is. I'm going home. The Jacksonville State student section was what it looked like how our student section should look. We were playing at a Jacksonville State level. Like it should have been opposite. The I would assume that Jacksonville State was South Carolina in that game because of just how they played. We played very, I think it was the worst, uh, messiest game I think I've been <laughs> working. So yeah, it was definitely a, a weird start to the game. So let's just like look at some of the weirdness that ensued. Um, there were 33 total drives between the teams uh, in the game. And that just tells you how quick it was it was going. So by the end of the first quarter, Jacksonville State had already run four drives and scored a touchdown. And South Carolina had already run four drives and scored two touchdowns. Um, and it all just was very chaotic. So for the most part, it felt like there was three and outs, four and outs, whatever happening on each side uh, or a long touchdown drive. And there was pretty much nothing in between. Um, and it really, to me, felt like the East Carolina, I mean, obviously a little bit more uh, high scoring, but the East Carolina game from year one of the Vimera. And I think maybe that's the thing that frustrated South Carolina fans is why you were in a dogfight uh, against a team that just moved up from uh, FCS this past offseason. Um, why you're in a dogfight with them to the very end, to the point that, yeah, you could have you could have definitely lost that game. I mean, there was they oh, were yeah. driving to to win it at, in the fourth quarter. Being tied up uh, with two minutes, eventually. I could tell that the energy, I mean, everybody could tell the energy on the field was, I would say, at best deflated. Like, you know, we'll have like hangover games where it's, we'll get ourselves together by the second half. And we had a hangover game until uh, basically halfway through the fourth quarter, I would say personally. Yeah, there were there were some bright spots. I mean, if you're Xavier Legat, obviously you played a great game throughout. Um, he actually ended up having the number two overall single game receiving uh, yards uh, in school history behind Pharaoh Coopers. He almost got it. He was 16 yards. He actually dropped a pass. I think that would have uh, put him over the edge in the fourth quarter. But, uh, you know, just clo that close to it. Um, I, I believe Peyton wrote a postgame story about Xavier Leggett and how he's on pace uh, for a record-breaking season. Um, and obviously, like, that's like, one of those stories you really want to elevate because he's been here for five years. Uh, he was injured, ba battled back from injury, um, and has really worked hard and just done things the right way. Um, and you've seen you know, him be rewarded for that. Uh, in today's uh, college football environment, it's very rare that someone that doesn't immediately break out uh, but has that sort of talent kind of sticks around in the program and uh, eventually does break out. So that, that's been really cool to see. 
Uh, and he's a big part of why South Carolina won on Saturday. Two touchdowns. Um, man, what was his final stat line? It was crazy. Uh, let me pull that up real quick. Uh, he had nine receptions for 217 yards and two touchdowns. And like I said, Farrow Cooper, I think, had like 234 yards or something uh, to set the single game record. So he was right right there. Um, I think you also had something to say about uh, Spencer Rattler and his performance. So, I mean, it was nice to see, obviously, Leggett is not at 100% right now, but it was nice to see the dynamic duo back together. Uh, we didn't really have the rhythm that we should have had on the field, to, uh, but seeing the deep balls being thrown again, seeing the, the you know, being able to not run the ball is nice again because for the past multiple games without Xavier, we haven't really had any options besides that. Even though Spencer is a mobile quarterback, it's nice to be able to have his arm being used, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, and really, the big plays are what made the difference in this game, right? So South Carolina's defense finally forced some turnovers. They had th two fumbles and an interception. Uh, two of those three turnovers led directly to points. So the first one was the fumble right before halftime. Uh, South Carolina scored in four plays in 49 drives uh, with 30 seconds left before half. And you kind of felt like, okay, South Carolina is settled in. Uh, they're going to come back out in the second half and, and start to pull away. And then, of course, you start the second half with an interception on the very first play. Um, and the following, drive, following three drives were punt, turnover on downs, punt, uh, before you finally did hit that 65-yard pass to Legat for a touchdown uh, to kind of swing the momentum back. Uh, before the fourth quarter and get things back under control, but yeah, there was it was just there was just no consistency, right? There are um, no drives, including there. There was only one drive over five uh, plays, um, including touchdown drives, and that was a ten play, forty eight yard drive that ended in a field goal um, for South Carolina in the fourth quarter, which also was off of a fumble. So. Um, South Carolina scored 17 points off of turnovers from Jacksonville State, which ended up making the making a big difference there. I think your point of chaos on the field, I was just seeing from above side of you, the ball was all over the field. It, it never was in a person's hand. Half the time it was, everybody was like, where is it? But yeah, no, I, uh, messy. <laughs> Um, we have a comment from Hip Hop Madness eight hundred three. Said watched on TV. Actually, didn't understand why the fans left. We needed the win. Our team is young. Shane needs time. Go Camecocks. Um, yeah, I, I as we kind of take a bigger picture approach, I tend to agree with that. It's it's not time to bail yet. And yeah, I mean technically you're still in bowl contention. Although I don't think anyone reasonable at the moment would project that you're going to win the last three games. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you needed that one to, to kind of stay on track. Um, even if you don't make a bowl, I think you need to at least win two of these last three and um, try to keep some positive momentum going into the off season. And that's what a, a lot of uh, what I wrote about in the rapid reaction on Saturday was kind of like, what are the vibes? <laughs> you know, what's the, what's the vibe check right now? Um, because obviously there were several times throughout the game where, like you said, fans left. There was booze coming down from the stadium. Um, one particular moment was uh, in that second half uh, when I talked about it going interception punt, turnover and downs punt. Um, after 
the turnover on down. Seth kind of had the ball again, got all the way to midfield, got up to the 47-yard line, um, and punted it away on fourth and short. And that was pretty much when the boos uh, were the loudest. And, yeah, what, I mean, what do you think it was? Is it just the frustration of, of coming off four straight losses, kind of feeling like, in many ways, this is a lost season, and then felt like you were slipping away to an inferior opponent? Well, I've talked to the players before, and, um, I mean, Lenore, he's told me that, you know, never say never, but it hasn't been deterring in the sense that they know they should be, like, playing better. I think they know this is where we stand for the season. There's no more maybe substitutions or any new like plays we can do because it just is what it is. But to uh, hip hop madness point, we are really young as a team. And especially seeing, we saw Connor Cox out on the field. We saw get some action for a little bit, which was nice, Nick Harbor. But the reality of the situation is, is that they really haven't played that that many games. They have not had the experience that, Spencer Rattler or Xavier Leggett or DQ Smith has. That was one of the things too I was going to mention is that DQ Smith um, was the most energetic person on the field, like uh, Shane said. And I think that's where the frustration is. Like he was, um, he was anxious to get in there to try to fix the situation. And he, 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 he contributed a little bit, I would say, but yeah, something that you're gonna have to watch, I guess, down the stretch here is there are um, there are kind of two sections of this team now, right? Where you have some of the upperclassmen that will have opportunities to play in the NFL, um, and if you lose one more game and are out of bowl contention, then you know you might start to see them start to shift to whatever is next for them mentally, uh, and then you do have these young guys that are gonna going to presumably be back next year like dq smith um like jalen kilgore like most of the offensive line um so i i do think that that's going to be something i mean right now you still have the bowl game ahead of you you know whatever there's still things to play for but just maintaining those different mindsets and attitudes within the locker room is going to be a challenge for for shane and the staff i think um and it gets that much harder when you feel like you have the fan base against you as well um which i feel like probably was the the vibes down on the field at at times i don't fully blame frustrated fans at this point um especially it's just been so long uh in the desert i guess like they at at halftime they honored the best squads in south carolina football history that three-year span where they won uh 11 games each under spurrier spurrier himself was there um and then to see like the product on the field as it is now with those stark reminders of what could have been, <laughs> what, what, what once was and what hopefully one day will be again. Um, I think that that was maybe a little bit too much to, to bear at the time. And I think Gamecock fans need to understand is, although this is Shane's Beam, Shane Beamer's third year, his whole prerogative has been the future of the team. So his recruiting uh style is completely different he's been going really hard on that and we're young so coming i don't think you should automatically not be a gamecock fan because 
there is still hope and excitement for more to come. I think, and I wrote about this in the rapid reaction too, and we've talked about it a few times the past few weeks on the, on the podcast, the most essential part of whether or not Shane Beamer ever reaches the heights that like he wants to, that I tend to think he probably can do, or that we've seen glimpses of through the first three years is going to be how the, this season ends and the off season goes like, uh, can you hold on to this 2024 recruiting class that has, um, you know, 11 four star above athletes in it? Can you hold on to all of your young talent instead of them looking elsewhere and going somewhere in the transfer portal because they no longer buy in to um, the trajectory of the program? Can you use your salesmanship or whatever to go into the portal and fill gaps, which is something that they struggled with last season or last off season? Um, in my weekly recruiting wrap-up that I wrote yesterday, I actually talked a lot about the positions that they might uh, target in the portal. I think that they'll probably try to go after running back again. Um, probably going to have to fill some gaps with wide receiver. Um, speaking of wide receiver, we, we saw Nicholas Harbour kind of take a step back uh, this week after Leggett kind of took his step back forward um, coming off of that injury. I think that's really all it is, is uh, Spencer just feels so much more comfortable with Leggett at this point. Um, but it was nice to see them target Nick Harbor on that opening uh, throw of the second half uh, where it was just like a deep shot to him. But um, something that Harbor is going to have to learn is how to use his big body uh, to fight <laughs> that ball. Um, it was a little underthrown. It wasn't, I'm, I'm sure Rattler himself would say that that wasn't his best pass ever. Um, but it also still felt like an opportunity where, a year or two from now, once Harbor has better um, sense of how to use his body to like box out a defender or something, that that was a catchable ball. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I think point being, I agree with you that they're young, but it's not going to matter if they stay perpetually young because they lose a bunch in the portal this year or whatever. So, uh, it's going to be essential uh, to keep the idea that they're progressing in the right direction at least alive in uh that roster's mind as we head to off season yeah shane definitely needs to um have the same focus as he does recruiting high schoolers as he does in the transfer portal i think and that was like you said something that we struggled with we did pretty okay but it wasn't any more people left from last season than you brought in yeah caliber wise than what we got in return i would say yeah uh but speaking of one of those guys that you got in return mario anderson i thought had another pretty solid game um he just runs hard and and he's he's a gamer like he got injured a couple of different times uh, <laughs> and you know i was like man i get he may be done uh there was like a, a ankle injury he had whatever and then he just comes right back out there and tries to run over people again um <laughs> We saw DJ Braswell get one carry. It was one carry for no yards, but kind of interesting to see him show up for just a second. Um, thanks, Hip Hop Madness. He says, uh, "You're right. I hope he keeps the class together and finds some gems in the portal." Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be essential. Um, so we talked about the game. We talked about some of these big plays. I want to talk about a uh, a moment that I'm calling "Find Some Joy." Right? That's that's the the classic saying that uh, Shane Beamer said in year one. When similarly, there was, uh, you know, some disgruntled parts of the fan base that uh, were having a hard time seeing the uh, forest for the trees or whatever. So what 
from this game or from where we're at uh, gives you hope uh, at the moment, Pauline? I think what gives me the most hope is, I always talk about it, I just mentioned it, but the future of the team. But I want to see who's going to be coming out as a leader. And I think Tonka Hemingway was a great example of somebody who will become a great uh, personality for the team, will be a great leader for the younger people coming on. And just, I guess, the the I would like to see the camaraderie again. And hopefully we will be able to get back to that. Because there are players emerging as, you know, main characters to look for and for other players to look to. That's what I guess. Yeah, um, I think that... There is hope in the young talent that has already contributed. And it's been rough at times to have to start two freshmen on the offensive line. But next year, those two sophomores, assuming that they're both back, um, that start on the offensive line will already have had this, you know, struggle and, and you know, have another year in the weight room and, and be in a better place than they would have been if they had just sat on the bench all year this year. So I do think having a young team means that you're going to lose more games than not means you have to figure out the winning mindset too, right? Like I think no one would disagree that South Carolina was the more talented team on Saturday, but they were coming off a four game losing streak. Um, They really haven't won any of the games that they've been in uh, throughout the year this year. Um, Other than I guess Mississippi state was one that they kind of had to struggle through a little bit. Um, and yeah, it really is like something that you have to learn how to finish games and, um, plays like what Stone Blanton made at the end of the game is how you, you know, take advantage of your opportunities and finish games. Scoring, uh, 10 other points off of other turnovers is how you take advantage of your opportunities and win games. So I think, um, this season is a potential like ground swelling season for the future as long as they pick up that experience and start to learn some of those things um any other things that you wanted to talk about with this game in particular i think we both texted about this a little bit earlier but one discouraging thing i think was just that uh south Carolina's offensive line had a little bit of a struggle getting much of a push in the run game and their defensive line got pushed around at times even though Jacksonville State's offensive line is presumably smaller and not as strong as an SEC defensive front. Um, but there was one drive in particular. I think you said that the the announcer called uh, called a big boy football that Jacksonville yeah. State like put up put on them. Um, and that, we were, yeah, it was just discouraging. Go ahead. Sorry, we just were not big boy football. That's all. <laughs> No, that's what I'm saying. And I, I think that that was probably the most discouraging thing. It would be one thing if you just got like uh, a ton of trick plays that had lucked their way to 28 points. But no, there were times in this game where Jacksonville State physically dominated you on defense. Um, I mean, they, they put up, uh, what was it, 200 and 225 rushing yards. And that was not a fluke um, between their running, their quarterback who also was gutting it out. I mean, eventually he got knocked out, but he, he got hurt two different times and came back in. Um, between their quarterback um, and their trio of running backs, they just like put it on you a couple of times. And that's what I think I was trying to get to at the beginning of the podcast was like out on the field, 
it almost looked like roles were reversed and how we were playing. And we should have been, we looked like a team that just joined the, like, uh, the, we looked like we just stopped. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. I don't want to say FBS, but I didn't want to get it wrong. But yeah, no, we looked like the team that just joined as if we hadn't been in SEC D1 conference for ever. I mean, it just wasn't like, it looked like they belonged to where we are right now. We don't deserve the spot. <laughs> yeah. That. And to be fair, like, this is what Rich Rodriguez does. He's a seasoned veteran head coach, a seasoned veteran play caller. Uh, he his offense was revolutionary at the time that he first instituted it, um, and it's good at running the ball. Uh, so, like this, they've done this to everyone else. There's a reason that they're seven and two. I do think you have to take a little bit of a step back and and realize this wasn't a bad football team. This it was a good football team that you beat. Still, I think as a SEC program in the third year of a head coach, you like to think that you are far enough along to be the more physically dominant team. And I, at times you just weren't on Saturday. And I think that that's a little, little scary for some folks. Um, you have one more week to, uh, yeah. Uh, hip hop madness says the same thing. Rich Rod got them, got them right. I agree. They, I mean, they're, they're a good team and that they sky's the limit for them uh, going forward. They, they probably will have a chance to com compete in the conference USA. I believe that's their conference uh, next year. Um, or Sunbelt, whatever it is. Anyway, um, let's look a little bit ahead to Vanderbilt. So you have one more, I guess, like warm-up game. Now, granted, Vanderbilt could beat you, but if you look at their schedule, right, they aren't <laughs> having the season that they want either. They got beat 31-15 to 15 by a kind of mediocre Auburn team on Saturday. Um, really, I mean, their best game thus far. They played Georgia sort of close for a half. Um, they only lost to UNLV by three. I mean, that's obviously not what you want. Uh, they played Wake Forest pretty close, but their only wins on the season are against Hawaii and Alabama A&M, and even that Hawaii game was pretty tight. Um, so this is a game that I think, yeah, you are the better team. You're at home, uh, and it's another opportunity to sort of like calibrate some things right before you finish the season with teams that are, Kentucky that I think is like probably pretty much on your level. And then Clemson, which is probably a little bit better than you at this point, but still a winnable game um, going forward. Do you have any thoughts on, on Vanderbilt coming up next week? Um, slightly concerned, but that's just because of how we played this past weekend. That doesn't mean anything for this upcoming weekend, but to your point, everybody has to realize we do have one of the hardest, uh, schedules in the sec and the in the country yeah, yeah no totally so, knowing that and then comparing how vanderbilt has been playing y'all have to cut us some slack and we will i i think we will show up to perform we've had you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger we've had the we've been beaten bruised battered so i mean your, your skin grows tougher, so hopefully coming into Vanderbilt, we will have a little bit more. Yeah, it's definitely a must-win game. Uh, Hip Hop Man is still hanging out. Love it. Um, he <laughs> says, we have to come out and jump all over Vandy. It can't be a game going into the fourth quarter. Yeah, I agree. This this needs to be uh, one that you get off to a, 
better start, keep the crowd more engaged um, and just don't have those uh, boo birds sort of uh, raining down from the upper deck, which could very quickly happen if you fall behind to Vanderbilt again. So um, we'll have plenty of more coverage on that game uh, throughout the week on GameCastScoop.com. We'll start previewing it. Alan will be back from Paris uh, on Wednesday and we'll we'll get the, the podcast uh, preview for Vanderbilt together on Thursday. A couple other things just to kind of uh, look around for. There's double basketball today if you're a South Carolina fan. So you got the women's game at 1 p.m. Uh, that is in Paris against Notre Dame. We'll have a live thread and full coverage on that here in a couple hours on GameCocksGroup.com. Like I said, Alan is at Hale George Carpentier Arena. I don't know how to say it right. Uh, in Paris. And then um, the men's team also opens their season tonight uh, against USC Upstate at home. And we will have um, a live reaction thread and some some game coverage for that one again tonight as well. Um, so yeah, if you're done with football season, like some people are, <laughs> uh, got some, got some basketball coming around the corner. Um, any other final thoughts or anything? Nope. Just, uh, for all y'all fans out there, just be patient. <laughs> it might yeah. not be the season, but maybe next. <laughs> yeah. Find some joy. Right. Um, <laughs> now it's, I fully understand both sides of it, but I also think, if you are going to completely wrench your hands every three years, every time something turns wrong or whatever, you're just going to be perpetually in this cycle. Um, so you might as well give the guy uh, some time to to build what he's trying to build. Um, and it's easier to build what you're trying to build and easier to convince those recruits that this is the place to be when you have the fan base support, which I know is a little bit of a catch-22 because you don't want to support a losing team or, or whatever. Um, but yeah. Be a little bit more patient. We got a little bit more time, I think, before you need to start uh, burning the whole thing down. <laughs> um, all right. Until next time, this has been the GameCockScoop.com podcast. We'll see you.